Caution, learning in progress. Welcome back to another episode of Smarter Every Season. Today, I am joined solo, uh, just myself and Corey Mulbauer in here today. How are you doing, Corey? Doing well, Paul. Glad to be in here. It's a uh, it's a busy rush. Corey was just sharing uh, before we got started that all of the fields, all the plots and the research went in in a mad rush, which means the scouting is going at a mad rush. That's right. Yeah, it's growing fast. We're about to hit 90 degrees next week. That means weeds and crop will be growing a foot a week, uh, <laughs> which means we got to hurry if we're going to evaluate the small plants. But we got a little bit of rain this morning, and I was able to sneak in an opportunity to pull Corey in and pick his brain a little bit. The conversation that we wanted to have was a follow-up to one of our previous episodes. It was our asking better questions. We got some really positive feedback from our listeners that that was very helpful and, and instructional for Maybe it's the things that we already do, second nature, but it did help us hone and, and be a little more intentional in the way we asked questions, pulled information out of a situation so we could solve problems and in, in, in a more diagnostic fashion. Well, we wanted to follow up with that and turn it from not just the technical on a planter, but also on the other half of our jobs in our lives is going to be towards the actual field itself and, and the agronomy side. So Corey's going to help us and help share some of the things that he looks for or how he approaches a field. And one of the analogies, or to frame it up a little better, is when we walk up to a planter, our eyes immediately start noticing worn gauge wheels, opening discs that are not the right diameter, things that are out of a line, parallel arm bushings that are loose. You know, we can just quickly identify those same things. In the same way an electrician walks into a room and we'll start noticing where all the outlets are. Are they spaced enough? If one light turns on, is everything on the wrong circuit? Tools, just common tribal knowledge of the, of the realm we're in, the industry we're in. I want to pull out of Corey's agronomist brain when he walks up to a field or when he approaches a problem, where do your eyes go? What light circuits are you seeing? Yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, good category to go down. Um, there are a lot of things that it was kind of funny, your analogy of approaching the planner, our amazing you know, dealer network and, and service providers we've got out there. I guarantee that when they show up at a field and a planter is on the move across the field, instantly their brain is calculating how level is that bar what do the parallel arms oh, yeah. look like you know it's just, it's kind of amazing how instantaneous and just second nature that kind of stuff can can become and when it comes to looking at fields and and evaluating the crop and what's going on out there it's just very similar and uh, you know one of the things that as kind of a broad category kind of doesn't matter what the crop is what time of year it is any of that success and you know a good turnout of, of growth and, and what we want to see, uh, big picture. The first thing I'm looking for is uniformity across the field area. And, uh, so that comes with color, size, density of crop. And literally as you're pulling in the farm gate, uh, my eyes are scanning. And I think uh, that's a lot of guys that do crop scouting about fields would, would agree with that. But to actually, say it out loud we don't always realize 
that that's step number one. But uh, that uniformity across that farm environment is is a significant indicator of what's happening, and uh, and then we can start to dig in from there. Does that make a difference? So you get into territory that has terrain, more terrain than we have right next to us in Tremont. Um, are you gauging, you're just, you're viewing the uniformity and acknowledging it or looking at low spots and thinking I should see a difference in height or I should see a uniform height across them. Yeah, that's going to be lower or higher based on the terrain. Are you, are you gauging in ex, uh, expected deficiencies or drop in uniformity around terrain? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> that's where the diagnostics start to, you start to dig in, right? So you need to identify when portions of the field are non-uniform. So maybe you've got big plants, little plants. The first thing that comes to mind for me is what pattern is it in? Does it align with environmental things or does it align with mechanical and machine things? And that pattern tells you where to start looking. So environmental causes of non-uniformity, whether it be size, color, whatever it is, um, it's, it's, it's random shapes and sizes. It, it doesn't have a very, you know, structure. You're not going to see straight lines and you're not going to see um, square box shapes to patterns when environmental things are causing the, the variation in plant size and uniformity. If it's machine-caused... Um, you're going to see the machine pass lines in that non-uniform uh, symptom that, that you're picking up with your eyes or scanning the field. So if, if there's a sprayer, a fertilizer, a planter, or a tillage issue, um, all machine passes are straight, and, uh, and they repeat themselves because based on the size of the implement, we can pick up a pattern. Uh, you know, so wheel tracks are a common one. You know, so if I see short plants... Um, lighter color and and it follows straight lines that match a wheel track pattern of either tillage or a sprayer pass um, then right away I know you know it's probably compaction right Um, and uh, and you can start to to diagnose it but if it's if it's non-linear and uh, and it's more um, uh, random and natural zones and shapes then we know that we, we need to start looking into things, uh, whether it be soil types, uh, drainage, uh, uh, ground conditions that maybe affected the ability of the equipment to do their job, but those conditions exist, exist in a zone that, that had that problem. So again, like coming back to uh, uh, wet soils, um, you know, something that, that I've seen a lot is, is wet soils and tillage. So if we have a zone that's wet and when we did tillage there, we created a lot of clods and boulders and then that dries out and we plant into it. Now we have a, a environmental zone that is the problem, but, but what, what caused that problem, you know, so that the tillage pass created it. Um, but it's, it's due to the, the water or the, you know, the high moisture of the soil there. And then that ends up being a stand establishment problem. Uh, and, and we can see that, that zone, you know, so, um, we've got a drainage issue. We, we didn't wait long enough to do tillage. There's a number of things that can go there. But the, the patterns start to stand out. And just to reiterate, that difference between straight lines and repeated patterns versus uh, 
you know, zones and random shapes and sizes. Yeah. yeah, I love how you wrote that out where you've got, if you can find a repeating pattern, especially if it's a straight line, that was human caused based on a pass, based on some implement, and then zones are environmentally impacted. Now we as humans may have augmented that, but first focus on a on a pattern, a repeating pattern is a machine pass. Second, if you find if it's restricted to zones, it's more environmental. I like that breakout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good starting point. Because at that point, you're separating: is it equipment and things I was managing, or is it environmental? And is there more we need to learn? You know, so environmental can can then drive uh, the next stage of of how much you want to dig in. So um, you know, based on on appearance and that sort of thing, you you should then obviously walk out. <laughs> to the problem area. And uh, when we see problem areas and we see good areas, the next best opportunity is to start comparing the two. Why Why is this area in really good shape, good color, good size, and why is this area not? And, uh, and you're going to evaluate ground conditions. Was there a soil type change? Um, and again, that, that is for both uh, machine and environmental issues. Look at the good areas, look at the bad areas, try to evaluate, uh, is there something that's standing out as a significant difference? And uh, uh, that's, that's a good way to narrow it down as well, is is, is it obvious? Uh, can we find residue, soil moisture, drainage? Can we find tillage problems? Can we, you know, stuff like that. So, so far in this conversation, I don't know why, I know you started this with a independent of the the portion of the season we're in but the whole time in this conversation my head has had this picture of a side dress age field of corn probably that's because we're about that time frame now and that's just the mental image so as you're talking about this i'm seeing corn and soybean plants that are knee high and less and i'm picturing the the variations the the delayed growth things like that but how much does this change if it's if you are approaching a field or engaging in an environment or a crop that is VT, like it's it's right prior to the pre reproductive stages, and that could be VT and corn just prior to you know just at that end of flowering mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. Do you maybe maybe let me step back and ask a better question of Do you approach this differently, or what tweaks do you make to this process based off of field season? Yeah, well, one big difference is uh, right now with with crops being uh, two inches tall to six inches tall, I can stay in my pickup seat as I enter the farm gate, and I can see across the field and and do that uh, broad evaluation of of what's different and and try to identify you know machine versus environment. When I get to uh, the big crop stages. I pull in the farm gate and a common thing I do is I climb into the back of the truck and then I climb up on the roof of the cab Okay. and I try really hard not to, you know, accidentally step in the center of the cab and <laughs> dent the roof in. Uh, but you get that bird's eye view. And I, I mean, more common today, a lot of guys will carry a drone with them and that sort of thing. I don't always get the drone battery charged up and get the case of with the drone in it thrown in the truck, you know, so there's, there's oftentimes I'm, passing by a field that I'm interested in 
Uh, maybe we have a trial out there or something, and I didn't pre-plan a visit, right? But, yep. hey, I've got 20 minutes. I'm going to pull in the driveway here and just take a, take a look from the edge of the field. If anything catches my eye, I'll walk out there and, and go see it. And I think that's pretty common with a lot of farmers, dealers, everybody else. You're, you're aware of, you know, fields that you're passing by that you're interested in. Uh, it's a nice step to actually pull in the farm gate and stop for a second, but uh, we we don't always find the time to to do a full loop out through and, and an official scouting pass. Uh, so commonly, I'll stand up on the cab of the truck, try to get above the the corn crop canopy and get that bird's eye evaluation again. And a phenomenal time with corn specifically is if you can catch it right at that VT stage where tassels are are mid emerging from the top of the plant. Um, it's you can find a, those delayed spots by which ones have flowered out and which ones that's haven't. That's right. It's, it's one of the most expressive moments. It only lasts maybe a week, uh, as far as when you can capture it, but you capture that, that delayed tassel emerging is a zone in the field where those plants didn't have as great a resources as the areas of the field where the tassels are already out. So, Again, it's another opportunity to look for machine versus zone type of symptoms and, and try to correlate it back to uh, when did the symptoms show up. Maybe it wasn't there at knee-high corn, and now we're seeing it at, at tasseling time, at least as tassels emerge. Uh, so that's a great opportunity. I try to get by most of our farms um, that we have corn trials in and stuff right around that tasseling time so I can evaluate it. So you mentioned it from a point of view from a field that you're familiar with. I would say most of the instances that I've gotten to do field visits and site visits with, I'm going to fields and farms that I've never seen before. In those cases, I will use Google Maps as well. Just when you pull up to the farm gate, I'm going to the field specifically. I don't always have the the local field knowledge. Sometimes I don't have all the field data. I, I mean, if I have field data, at least I have a an aerial view of what, what I'm there. But a lot of times I'll also pull up Google Maps or Google Earth that has the history. You can look at previous past images. And just to get a lay of the land, I love that that mindset of I'm going to view it from the yeah. top and get a, a, a top view. I'll also then turn around and the next thing I'll do, if I'm doing a site visit to a field I've never been in, is I'll go out and compare that to put my, da- my hands down in the soil mm-hmm. and touch and feel the soil, what kind of a dirt am I dealing with and how much clay and soil and is there a ton of residue in it? Am I dealing with rocks? Yeah. So, but I, yeah. I like that. Start with the top view and just get a lay of the land. Yeah. And that's a very good point. Uh, I spend a lot of my time, you know, lining up fields ahead of time for, for our product research and that sort of thing. Uh, before we enter a new farm, I do very similar things is what you're talking about. Uh, I go through, I don't know how to do it on my phone, but on, on Google features on the, through the computer and the websites, you can go back through historic imagery. There's probably a way to do it on the phone. I haven't figured it out. <laughs> uh, but on the computer, I can easily flip back through to the 1980s, and uh, you get you know some set of imagery over time. Every, every location is a little different, but it's a great way to evaluate uh, where the variable zones are and, and what's happening there. You can usually find... Uh, wet drowned out spots you can find spots that burned up uh, if you know your weather patterns that have happened in the last 20 years in your area you remember the dry years uh, here it's 2012 right so it's nice to catch a, 
an image of a 2012 and then a, and then a wet 2019 and and uh, uh, some of those kind of years really help figure out you know what your what to expect before you enter that farm and and the earlier photos that they have stored even like in the 80s I think they were still a black and white just for file say, size yeah it's true um, you can still pull a lot out of uh, black yeah. and white yeah and I've noticed even the obvious things of hey there was a building site there. No wonder we're fighting so much in this area. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that is a good, it's amazing what you can pick out. <laughs> tile lines, you can, there's so often you can actually see the, the tile installation year by just flipping back through those historic yeah. satellite images. So outside of the, that time on corn, at, just at tasseling, is there any other specific time or stage of growth for a, a crop you either target or um, need to be cognizant of? The cool thing about crops in general is the plant is a living organism and it is its growth rate, its health, its color is all influenced by its environment and its resources. Literally from the time it comes out of the ground after planting all the way to the finish, full maturity before harvest, it's going to tell us exactly where it's at. It's going to tell us if it's been limited on nutrients, limited on water, if it's been damaged by weather patterns, um, high winds, hail. All those things are, are physical reactions that, that the plant is going to have based on environment and what it's, what's happening to it. Uh, so there's, there's really no bad time to evaluate a crop and no matter what time of year it is it's 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 signaling you where it's at um so i'm always fascinated when i get an opportunity to to look at fields from a drone fly over in an airplane or just scan farms as i'm driving down the road i always notice those uniform beautiful even colored even height fields and i also <laughs> always notice the ones that aren't uh and and you just know that there's different management decisions that are being made there's there's different preparation different uh protection through the season different drainage uh management different uh irrigation management whatever it might be it'll show up and uh, you can you can definitely see it uh all season long through different stages um it, it is possible to have a field where everything's rocking and rolling, beautiful, big, green, good color, all the way through a certain phase, and it can start to turn uh, on you later in the season, which means uh, uh, there's something going on that we had everything we needed, and now it's backing up, and we're starting to see symptoms show up. And, you know, common ones could be running out of nitrogen and corn, um, it could just be heat driven. If we get into July here and we start hitting 95 plus degrees and we haven't had a rain in a while, we're going to start seeing the environmental zones show up that don't hold water very well. Your low CECs, low organic matter soils. Um, you can be beautiful up to any point and it can start to turn on you. Uh, and that's another phenomenal uh, data point for you to figure out what turned the corner and, and what is the cause of that? Uh, I've done a lot of nitrogen trials in my career and uh, it's really interesting when you pull back on total end programs and you start to study application timing and placement and those things. Um, you know, a lot of that work we did to, 
to work on conceal and some of those options, but just watching the plants respond um, when we didn't get enough out there on time, uh, you know, it's, it's telling us that. And uh, those are those are powerful indicators, and, and those are things that always need to be watching for. Uh, we can learn how to adjust the knobs for next season in the future uh, for the environments that we've got on, on a particular farm to make sure that we don't run short, to make sure that we stay healthy all the way through uh, and and get to get all we can out of it. So let me sidetrack a little bit here then. On those nitrogen studies that you've done, how much weatherproofing can you do with a fertility program? Yeah, so, I mean, we've done a pile of research on that, both from uh, nitrogen and phosphorus side of things. I mean, really... The issue with weather's impact on nutrient availability is is uh, the fact that, that the soil and the soil microbes have a, a massive amount of control over what is released and available in solution for plants' roots to take up, uh, and and they have full control over how much they tie up and and may and don't allow to be available, and that tracks directly with weather patterns. Um, the the Microbial system in the soil is the driving factor. When we get optimum oxygen, moisture, temperature for that soil environment, microbes are cranking. They skyrocket. They skyrocket. And they eat first. They eat first, absolutely. We saw a huge, huge effect of that this year. So our season here in central Illinois, and I think a lot of the mid Midwest experiences, uh, we were cold and wet for quite a while. And we hit... Uh, early May, and we ended up with a week of 85, 90-degree weather. It was phenomenal to get some planting done during that time. A couple weeks following that, um, actually, we got, let me, let me back up a little. We planted quite a bit ahead of that in some cool, wet conditions. Then we hit the 85, 90-degree weather. A lot of farmers in this area found that they had crusting problems and, and started to replant a couple of weeks later. It all tie, comes back to that hot, dry period after being slightly wet. And uh, the thing that you don't really think about during that time because you're focused on how am I going to get the rest of my crop planted, and you're also evaluating how much did I lose in stand, what do I need to replant. Well, once we got fields that were, uh, I'll use corn, for example, once we got to uh, V3 stage, uh, just a couple weeks following that, uh, V2, V3, somewhere in there, um, the plants started looking very yellow, very sick. Uh, we're getting uh, quite a bit of striping. In, so those in earlier fields. planted ones that did get up? It's the earlier planted ones that didn't need replanted. Um, when they started to come up and, and they were big enough to start to evaluate size, color, uniformity, all those things, uh, they really started to look nutrient deficient, sick, pretty sad looking fields. Uh, I've heard university reports call this the ugly corn phase. What's actually happening is that that really hard-hitting hot week, which caused some replant issues, also fired up all the microbes in the area. So we had an explosion of microbe activity all at one time. There was not a slow ramp-up this year. We, we had a, a big effect of immobilization from this microbe explosion. And uh, I had a field. There's one farm that, because of the trial I'm doing, and I can't talk about uh, <laughs> what that trial is specifically, but... Uh, it won't delete that part out. We... <laughs> We're evaluating some things on planter performance, and um, 
to to better manage wheel tracks and extra passes through the field, we decided this year we're going to, on that particular farm, we're going to put all our nitrogen on up front and talk to the farmer about letting us do that. We added an extra 40 pounds end to the total program, okay. and uh, I actually paid for that. Uh, okay. Precision planning did. So we covered some extra end, and then we also bought the uh, stabilizer needed to to do a safe, good job of, of putting it holding on. Holding it on long enough. Holding on long enough, not losing it if we put it on with a sprayer. You said you took him to a, a single application. What's the, what's the grower's default program? Default program Just is uh, about third of a third of the nitrogen on weed and feed and the remainder side dress oh, wow. is what his typical program is. So we pulled two-thirds of the program from side dress, put it all, all up front. So 100% of the program went on. Uh, pre-plant we planted about a week after the sprayer made the application um, so that farm in particular has 240 pounds of nitrogen laid on the surface stabilized it got rained in with some really nice quarter inch rains and uh, three weeks after that high heat week uh, we had yellow corn we had zinc and sulfur striping and it, I called the agronomist that uh, was in charge of the application, and I said, did that get put on? Because <laughs> it didn't look like it. The corn was was struggling. And uh, so he went back to the records and talked to the operator, and they confirmed, yeah, we got we got the full rate of N on. And it just, what my point is, the power of immobilization when microbes choose to fire up. We don't get to choose what's available to the plants. They sucked up the available nitrates in in the soil at that time near the surface um, the corn has come out of it the microbes are starting to cycle through they're giving some of that back it's snapped back to green uh, the whole time as we're evaluating this we're just shaking our heads thinking we should have put 20 30 pounds in on with conceal in the planter when we went through there uh, we took a shortcut yep. made it easy for our research project and we, we're going to pay a little bit for that. At least it's uniform across the field. Yeah. The situation, our trial will be good. It's a it's a half planter trial, highly replicated through this farm. But uh, it was just a good reminder of the power of the microbes, the control the soil environment has, and the reasons why uh, we banned our nutrients and, and try to weatherproof those programs. But, again, visual indicators. You know, what, what happened there was – I saw the problem in the field. And when, when you see uh, yellowing a corn and striping and things like that, it's almost always going to have an environmental variation throughout the field. So your different soil types and what they're made of, their ability uh, to supply, store, and release nutrients you know, heavily depend on organic matter content and clay content of those different soils in the field. They're going to express... Uh, stronger and weaker symptoms of what's going on. So we had very yellow zones with a lot of striping, and we had some zones that, that actually looked like, you know, fairly normal colored corn, maybe just a little bit of a hint of yellow. Um, but it was very soil-type expressive uh, because it, it is all based on the micropopulation, the amount of organic matter they're feeding on, uh, and that sort of thing in, in that example. But uh, what that told me, if I'm a farmer and I see that often, then I better seriously think about how is my nutrient program weatherproofed and are there steps I can take so that we don't see corn have bad days like after an immobilization period as strong as we had this year. Did you see, so you did see more of a zone, 
effect out of the immobilization cycle this year. That's right. Yeah. And that's common because it, microbes are environmental. Mm -hmm. I'll put them in that category and, uh, You'll, you'll see strong correlations to soil types and, you know, microbe health and populations. You'll see uh, strong trends towards uh, residue management in the same type of situation. So if, if the symptoms the crop is showing us early on is immobilization, uh, tying up nutrients, uh, then more residue is probably an area that's going to have a, a bigger uh, population of microbes exploding and, f- and sucking up those nutrients. So, so you'll see residue patterns at times. Most of the time, it's soil type that uh, that'll sh- express different colors and different severities. Okay. So, through that, I've kind of caught and I've taken two notes back here. I loved how each time you get to a field and you start noticing differences, especially the machine-related ones. Your first, the two notes I have are self-reflection versus asking questions. Your first que- your first step is reflecting back of, did we make the right recommendation? Did we actually pull it off? Then it's starting asking questions. You work back through other operators. But you've got kind of both, both sides of double-checking your own internal as well as verifying. And that's going to be very similar to us being the growers or the the plot managers, as well as if we're uh, in the dealer's shoes where we're out being an advisor and helping on a customer site, we're probably little on the self-reflection side, but very heavy on the investigative asking questions to try and pull those bits of information out. Yep, yep. Any tips or useful questions, probing questions, um, ways of looking at a problem when our when our listeners are in that position and they're trying to peel back the layers to right cuz uh from a from a service provider type of of position uh so you're trying to help someone get through it and that adds a layer of challenge because uh now you're not the one that was involved every day in the field right so so there's an art uh, whether it be a technical issue or an agronomy issue, to to try to extract out the information needed from from that other party that actually did the work and and managed the steps in the field, you know, a lot of times it really does just start with let's let's pick the most obvious, ask those questions, and and it's kind of like starting big, working small, right? So. Um, if it's environmental, we're going to talk about it. You know, is there a drainage issue? Is it soil type? And then, and then is uh, another one's going to be, you know, what does your nutrient program look like? Are you managing soil test levels from PK pH values at an at an adequate level, or or is this farm one that uh, has some concerning levels in it? Right. So, um, depending on symptoms, depending on what we're seeing, you're going to start with some of those basics across the board. Uh, you know, when it's, when it's mechanical, you immediately have to establish what were the machine passes and when. And so I want to know, okay, a floater applied DAP and potash last fall, it's, it spreads 90 feet wide. And I want to know that, um, you if know, if you do see a pattern, those patterns don't always show up perfectly. Right. So you're trying to 
identify any potential slots that match a, a potential pattern. That's you right. See. That's right. Okay. And then, and then I want to know, did it, you know, was it sprayed and when did the sprayer run and, and what type of machine was that? Is it a, is it an 80 foot, 120 foot sprayer? Um, what, what was it applying? So there's, I'll, I'll just go into the application side a little bit. Uh, uh, back in my day, before precision planning, as just a, a, an agronomist and consultant, I remember going to fields and evaluating um, some chemical carryover issues. So it could be a, a corn herbicide program that carried over, caused some symptom and injury in soybeans the following year. One of the things that my mentor taught me back then was, uh, so again, it comes back to that machine pass. If I know I've got a potential sprayer issue and chemical carryover issue, we're going to identify what the chemical was used the year before. Plants are obviously showing us the symptoms that would align, and and chemical symptoms can look similar to nutrient symptoms, uh, but there's enough information out there, and I'm not uh, a genius on every little detail. So what I like to always recommend is very good resources. So if I study anything, I study and constantly look for new and better resources of pictures and diagnostic information that helps me out. And and I pull my favorite books or go to my favorite websites anytime I'm chasing something. Uh, I, I'm not... I'm not widespread and, and I'm, I'm not enough of a genius to have a photographic memory of, of every possible symptom and, and cause out there, but references are key. Love that approach that you're, you've, you've made the mental decision to not focus on memorization of symptoms and causes and, and build a, uh, an encyclopedia in your brain, but you spend that time that you would have done to memorization on the continual hunt for right. better tools that you can use ad hoc. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. If, if I regularly do anything, so we're, we're going on a little different path and I'm going to, I'm going to get back to that. I'm going to get back to that sprayer diagnostic situation, but, uh, probably my favorite way to stay somewhat current and tapped into resources is, is I'm, I'm, uh, signed up for a, a few agronomy resource, uh, uh, email lists. So, okay. so I get, uh, uh, there's a, what used to be Chat and Chew Cafe, but uh, Bob Nielsen out of Purdue, he created a source where he pulls uh, agronomy and agriculture extension resources from all the land grant universities that publish um, fairly regular uh, crop issues and crop uh, uh, status each season. He'll, he'll pull all those articles and put them in one place so that as, when I receive Bob Nielsen's email uh, from Purdue, there's a link to every article that's been published across land-grant universities in the Midwest. Okay. And, and I can thumb through those headlines, and if there's something interesting, I'll click on it. And a lot of them are direct topic-specific, but within those, I often find news of an updated agronomy resource or something like that. And uh, that's been a way that, that, uh, that I, I get the the more current versions, if, if there are changes or updates made, uh, that's, that's one of my favorite. And I know there's a lot of others out there, uh, but I found that to be very useful because I don't have to separately go seek out the different university extension publications from Iowa State, Minnesota, Nebraska, all of the, the main ones. Um, that's your aggregator of choice. That's the aggregator of choice, you bet. Uh, so 
that that is it's a great aside. Uh, let yeah. me bring you back to the sprayer application where you were starting. Yeah. So with the the the, the symptoms are there, right? In in this story about the spray application, that it was likely herbicide injury, right? Um, and we talk back to is it machine or environment? Well, with with machine, there has to be patterns. But what's common with a herbicide injury, as an example of just different visuals in a field herbicide injury commonly is very strong wherever we've double applied but where a single uh, application rate was made in the field the symptoms probably not there or often it's not or maybe it's very light and it's it's hard to distinguish what's really going on with the plants so we're, we're seeing something that's off but we're not sure what it is and can't really diagnose it well um, so what my former mentor guided me and taught me to do was when when it's that type of concern that we have uh, almost all sprayers and machines have some overlap zones somewhere and they're different sizes depending on the technology that's on a machine Um, so you you can ask questions like did that machine have nozzle by nozzle control or was it boom sections or was it even just half boom shutoffs Um, then you go to the point rows and you go to the to the end rows, and you look for okay. As that machine was turning on and off, there had to be some overlap, even if it's got nozzle by nozzle. It's at least a row or two, and there should be some double applications there. And so, in the herbicide injury scenarios, it's those zones and putting all those connecting dots together that that um, basically gave us the the symptom that. That sealed the deal on yes, this was the problem uh, because the symptoms in those small triangle-shaped overlap zones and the point rows were strong enough to show us a good correlation to our agronomy resources that had picture examples of what the herbicide injury would look like. Um, so anyway, the point there. I mean, just to recap, it's it's thinking through those mechanical. Uh, relationships of of where to find and where to look for the correlating symptom in the field even more than that and it would it would take part whether it was spray application machine application or zone related if you think you're on a possible cause for what symptom or problem that you're seeing imagine what would make that cause the worst you're 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 imagining worst case scenarios that's where you went to hey if this is if this is herbicide industry a 2x application of herbicide would highlight this. So you start imagining where the, the potential cause you think you're working on would be highlighted the worst, and you go to those zones. So if it was your earlier example of um, poor seeding environment with clods, well, where would that happen the worst? Anywhere that we did tillage with it was when it was wet. Right. You did your tillage this time and date. Well, let's go to the lower areas and see if it's That's right. larger there. Yeah, 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 uh, and there's there's so many ways to connect the dots today. I feel blessed to to have access to uh, all of the metrics in our 2020 and the things that we have on planters. You know, just for example, you can check so many boxes of diagnostic layers just by going back to when a customer has a 2020 system. Uh, still using field view for, for mapping purposes, like that tillage scenario. Okay, maybe you've even you've identified 
a poor stand. You walk out there. You realize it's a cloudy environment. I've got non-uniform emergence. Plants are all different sizes. Uh, you may dig and find seeds are at similar depths, not really explaining, you know, based on depth and placement of seed, why one plant is smaller than the other, but you are noticing the cloudy environment and that sort of thing. First thing I go to is the moisture map from a smart firmer, you know, and if at planting time, um, that zone, you know, showed dry, uh, it probably was a dry, cloudy environment. And now we've got a seed environment that was very inconsistent for supplying moisture to the plants, but we may have had perfect downforce and perfect seed depth control and great row cleaner performance and all these things. Um, but what created that environment? Step back a, a moment. Maybe you even have to ask your tillage operator, what was it like at that time? Uh, a, when it's a farmer in his own field, he'll probably know, yeah, that zone. <laughs> yeah. That part of the field's usually a little marginal, not quite fit. Uh, we run through it anyway because we're not waiting. You know, we got to get this area done, and we're going to move 10 miles down the road to get to the next group of farms. Uh, it happens all the time. But uh, being able to verify with the metrics in the 2020 and look at look at that data is, is just phenomenal to check off all the things that were right and then look for those couple that are remaining that something's something's up here. Very helpful. You have mentioned or brought up a, a handful of times being out or investigating a field or, or checking a field at a certain time and, and in your mind actually bringing to the fore other times of the year. I'm out there at tassel. Well, what happened at spray? What happened at planting? Uh, if I'm out there at planting or side dress, looking back, well, what caused this? And you've mentioned residue. It's going to be directly affected by where the combine came through and how it spreads, what the tillage operation is. You, by, by listening to the conversation, you have a very cyclical approach to the field. It's not a, it's never a snapshot or it's it's part of a rolling view or you know it's a living organism i think you've used those words mhm mhm yeah i think you're right and uh you're you're making me realize what my thought process actually <laughs> is sometimes we don't actually have it laid out but it i my brain tends to always think through beginning beginning to present. So I, I go back in time and I think through what steps, what phases, uh, what conditions, what what type of weather patterns did we have uh, from the beginning of the season to now. And, and beginning of the season, I mean, I mean last fall. Uh, what happened after harvest or during harvest that impacts this year? And, it was uh, a wet harvest and I had to mud it to get it out. That's and right. Now I'm dealing with the lines that are from the tillage that, yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, I've done some some nitrogen presentations uh, ahead of, of conceal release and, and that sort of thing, but just talking about symptoms of nitrogen and stuff. And I had a picture in one of those slide decks where uh, just an ugly-looking field of corn from a perspective of green and yellow streaks throughout, and uh, it's probably knee to waist high somewhere in there. And it just looks like a mess at, at first sight. And uh, when you adjust and, and start thinking about all right, what patterns might actually be here. And again, it comes back to thinking through the machine passes, what intervals they would be making passes through the field, where, where are their wheel tracks, 
how are they interacting with the environment, where are they throwing residue, that sort of thing. And, um, and I take that picture and I laid lines on it that matched how the wheat was harvested the year before. It happened to be a, a farm that was wheat the year before and corn in the picture. And uh, uh, one of the patterns of yellow streaks was at an angle through the field and it happened to match the wheat harvest. Uh, so as the combine cut the wheat, it had heavier, heavier residue coming out of the back of the combine in the center of the swath, less residue on the edges of the uh, swath width of, of the cutting head. And that showed up as yellow or corn in that pattern. And then there was this other pattern. Again, when they're, when they're both together, it's harder to distinguish. But when you start laying them out, that one made sense. And then the next one was, was compaction from a spring application of, of uh, I believe it was fertilizer, but I'd have to double check. And that one was going in a different direction. And, uh, but yet it repeated itself across the field at approximately the right interval for the swath width of that pass. And so when you lay out the actual lines representing where the wheels ran of these different applications, then it all shows itself exactly. Like it replayed the activity that occurred the spring and the fall before and, and then it's obvious. Now, all of that could be solved with a better nitrogen program <laughs> on that <laughs> cornfield. So the nitrogen program, and that's where I would go with the story, the nitrogen program was running so lean at that phase of the corn's life mm -hmm. that it was significantly impacted by both compaction and residue levels in the field. And those were patterns from prior passes, uh, but also expressing the immobilization from an early season, you know, warm-up period uh, is why those compacted wheel tracks and heavier residue streaks were causing the nitrogen deficiency symptom to show up in the plants. And the funny thing about all that is, uh, is, you know, 30, 40 units of nitrogen put on with concealer planter, that whole field probably would have been dark green and looking beautiful. So. Yeah, so that's kind of a mixed. There's two things I took notes on while you were while you were sharing that because I think they're both awesome. One is to to work backwards through them. One is that mind the mindset to approach that. I have been exposed, or I am experiencing a bad or less than ideal crop because I was running so lean on and on my nitrogen. Right. I could have made this all go away by just being excessive, right? And that's partially you may feel a little guilty about that, but the flip to turn that coin around, the flip side is, wow, I now learned two things about my operation that I'm that I would have continued doing unchanging for multiple years that had I had a more aggressive nitrogen program, I never would have been exposed to and learned. Right. I can now make improvements. That's true. <laughs> so yeah, it may have cost me. And that's a that's a learning tax. It is. So it's a mindset there of, hey, what can I learn from this? And um, yes, maybe if I'd have just gone a little heavier on the nitrogen, I would have never experienced this, but I also would have never learned. Yeah, the total learning steps are uh, we, we could spread the straw better and we harvest wheat. Mm -hmm. If that was uniform, that streak would not have shown up. And Which also means that it would have been less impactful. Correct. You wouldn't have one zone of high impact. That's right. And one zone and other zones unimpacted. Yeah. You'd have had a more muted effect all over. Yeah. Better distribution may have reduced the carbon penalty, the immobilization mm -hmm. penalty enough that all plants as a whole would have been healthier. Yep. 
And, uh, and then the other one was the wheel track compaction at a different angle. Another learning opportunity. Maybe we push conditions on that pass and uh, shouldn't have, uh, should have waited longer and we would have had a reduced effect of the compaction from that. And it's funny that, you know, you said that all symptoms were very well expressed because the nitrogen program was running so lean and managed very lean. Uh, so multiple learning opportunities. You, you would have masked all of it if you just were slathered a guy on that slathered on a lot of <laughs> nitrogen. That's right. Uh, so maybe maybe it's an opportunity for everybody to cut your nitrogen program way back and learn what other sins you're creating in a field. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's worth the cost there overall, but it is it is interesting. There's a value to learning. Yeah. Uh, the other note I took during that was the exact opposite of your herbicide interest injury where you identified or imagined where the symptom would be the worst and went looking for those areas to identify or amplify identify an amplified symptom in this example you were taking what you thought you might have multiple possible causes or impacts and you started separating those out so you were separating potential causes potential multiple causes out so that you could identify and and look for the symptoms right. of individual causes one at a time that's right so it was both a looking for the 2x factor or trying to separate potential causes out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is the point where I'm going to try and recap. I'm going to towards the end of this conversation here, uh, I'm going to try and recap this and summarize what Corey has laid out to us and I have instigated some rabbit trails and I'll apologize for those. We'll try and clean those up and post edit as much as possible, but what I kind of took was First, you start with uh, a lay of the land. You try and get a big picture. Sometimes that's an aerial view. That's a standing on top of the truck. That's some way to get a, a large picture understanding of what's happening. Right. A lot of times you're looking for the key figures you're pulling in at that point is uniformity. Those are some of the, um, the visual triggers are what's informing you as you work from a thinking big starting with the big and funneling down to smaller problems. You're using color and shape, all the, the different visual triggers that you can pull out of a growing crop to help you identify the next part, which is, is it zone? Does it match a zone of area affected or does it match a pattern? Is it machine-based? Once you think you are coming on or, or approaching what a potential cause might be, if you're in that zone where you have, or in that area instance where you have a weak or not very significant cause, you imagine a, where would this cause be amplified and go look at those zones to confirm or deny your idea? Or do you think you have multiple competing causes for this scenario? Find and identify an area of the field that only has one of these causing it. So that's, kind of the path we've taken the conversation so far. Um, we have not, we've done a disservice and we have not actually talked about anything below grade as far as for growing plants. We haven't touched the roots at all, but in a, in a portion off air here, you mentioned that's very hands-on. That's a very specific, that's a row by row plant by plant investigation. And we approach this conversation with a, high level, big picture, how to approach problems 
it's okay. You'll come back and you, we'll dive into a, a roots level discussion another time. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, to really go through it all, we probably need multiple sessions, Paul. <laughs> I'll try and get some backup so it's not just me, but taking advantage of a rainy day to get you in and, and pull some of these big picture, how you approach agronomic problems is, is invaluable. So I want to take the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, something I want uh, everybody listening to to be mindful of. Uh, if you're like me and you don't always carry the adequate technology with you, be very careful if you're standing on top of your truck cabs. <laughs> <laughs> Try to avoid that if, if you just drove through a rain and, uh, and the top of the cab is wet. There, it's a little bit dangerous, but uh, great, great bird's eye view from that vantage point. We're, we're going to just assume he's not talking from experience there, <laughs> but, but in general, that's probably a, a great place to end uh, or wrap up this conversation is be safe out there. Uh, we're getting on towards summer, high heat, always take, make sure you got plenty of moisture with you. Make sure someone knows where you're going and when you should be back. Those are just simple travel uh, safety patterns. So, um, if you need to turn your find my iPhone or something similar on for uh, coworker or loved one to know where you're at at all times in case that's needed. That's right. That's right. Probably my most dangerous stunt, Paul, for trying to see across the top of a cornfield. I believe Aaron Herman took a picture of it. If uh, <laughs> somebody wanted to go back and dig that up, uh, but. I was able to balance on a fence post like uh, like Karate Kid. Oh, nice! So I'm I'm one Wax foot on. standing on top of a five foot tall fence post, trying to see over top of a corn crop, and uh, probably wouldn't share the story, but I know the picture's floating around somewhere. There are there are hundreds. <laughs> I definitely of, don't recommend that. <laughs> there are hundreds of internet videos of of that exact stance ending very poorly. <laughs> um, Luckily, I survived to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, with that, we're gonna uh, we're gonna pass along our thanks again for Corey coming in, laying down some knowledge, and, and just helping us approach problems from a little bigger picture. Uh, we look forward to having you back as we can dig in, maybe see some of the roots of a conversation. And all in all, we invite invite everyone to come back as we keep getting a little smarter every season. <laughs>